Father God, we, we ask for your blessing upon this class. We ask that you bless each and every heart, each and every mind. Father, bless our ears to hear what you have to say. Father, help us put aside all of our preconceived notions. Help us put aside our own opinions and truly have a, have a mind and a heart that seek your will in our lives as it relates to this subject. Father, we live in a world that is broken, in a world that's hurting, in a world where race is one of the hot topics being discussed and argued about, and there's just so much turmoil, Father. And I pray that we, as those gathered in your name, will take away from this class something that we can go back out into our world with, back out with some hope and some healing and some love that the gospel brings and help people have a better perspective on, a such, on such an important topic. God, we love you and thank you for Jesus, and we pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, so I don't know why they picked the most blunt and tactless preacher to tackle such a subject, but they did. So buckle up, and I'm going to do my best, okay? And I hope that if nothing else, you come away today challenged. I don't care what the color of your skin is when you're sitting in here today, I hope no matter what color it is, you leave challenged. My goal is not to offend you, but if the truth offends you, so be it. Because it's only when the truth confronts us in such a way that it is offensive to us that we have any chance of change to become more like God. So let's dive into this thing. When you hear the phrase, the first question I want to pose to you guys, raise your hand if you think that at the end of this class, the conclusion will be there is one race. Raise your hand if you believe the conclusion of the class will be there is, in fact, one race. Raise your hand if you think that there are more than one race, and that will be my conclusion at the end of the class. All right, we're going to take bets? <laughs> All right. Did you at least find someone in the audience you could argue with later? Okay. Listen, I want to say this. After the class is over, the likelihood of you misunderstanding me in some way is pretty high. Okay, so do me a favor and commit to not throwing tomatoes at me. Commit to not being angry at me immediately. Be slow to anger. The scripture tells you that. And afterwards, please come talk to me, please. And I will hear you out. I will listen. I'll seek to understand before I seek to be understood. And I will try to resolve whatever it is that you have a problem with, okay? Because I love you guys. And we all need to hear this message this morning. All right, so what about this question? How can there be so many races in the world if we are all descendants of Adam and Eve? Does anybody feel like they could answer that question adequately to someone who knows nothing about this topic or nothing about God and His Word? Who thinks they could sit down and really articulate the answer to that question well? One person. 
two persons. Three. Okay. We'll see if you still feel that way at the end. <laughs> All right. The first thing that this question presupposes is that you agree that there is an Adam and Eve and that it, the story is true, right? And a lot of people doubt that whether the Bible story is true, oh, it's like this little, you know, just fairy tale, or it's, it's not really a garden, it's not really a tree, it wasn't really a snake, it's just kind of this story, you can't take it for what it says. Adam and Eve, who knows if they're even real. They're just kind of symbolic characters. And the Bible can't be true. Why? Check this out. Because we've already got a problem in the very, very beginning. Who's heard this before? Another way of asking this question is, who's Cain's wife? Y'all know where Cain's wife came from? That's one of the number one arguments that, they, that, that people bring up against the very beginning of the story. When it says, look, Adam and Eve lay with, with each other and, and out came Cain and Abel and then Cain and Abel did their thing and Cain kills, but then he, he gets banished from the garden and, and from God's presence and he goes out to a land of, where do you go? The land of Nod. And when he gets there, it says he knew his wife. Where did that lady come from? Because the only people we're told that are born to this point are Adam, Eve, Cain and Abel, and a guy named Seth. There's no mention of any females other than Eve. So what, did Cain hook up with Eve in the land of Nod? she go with him? Gross, yeah. Well, look at what it says. If, if, if we would just... If we would just not look for an excuse to throw the Bible away, we might actually learn something from it. Don't, don't believe the first thing you see on the internet when it criticizes something about God. I guarantee you I've seen them ab about every one that there can be seen, and I can tell you there's an explanation for them. Because if there wasn't, the most cynical person that's ever walked the planet, Mackie Shedd, would not be a Christian today. You just got to read another chapter over in chapter 5, the story of Cain and Abel and him killing him and marrying his wife's in chapter 4. But look at what chapter 5, the very next chapter, says the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. This is an old dude. Okay? That's a, that's a discussion for another time. There's an explanation for why they live so long, but I'm not going to talk about it today. And he had other sons and what? Well, okay. So now we got an answer where Cain's wife came from. But then what's your next question? Well, okay, he had daughters, but what does that make her to Cain? Oh, snap. So now the guy, where's the gross comment? Gross, right? This is a different world. It's a different time. How else? Do you think that the world would ever be populated from one man and one woman? They have to marry their relatives. It says, thus all the days that Adam lived were 930. If you add the 130 before and the 800 that he lived, you get 100, I'm sorry, 930 years and then Adam dies. And that begins the account there in chapter five of all his descendants after that. But I want you to check this out. We're talking about incest, right? 
Is the Bible okay with incest? Who says yes? Who says no? Ain't no time for it no more, brother. <laughs> Ain't no time for it no more. Okay. <laughs> All right. You're right, though. There was a time for it when it was not considered against God's law. And I want you to see that. Um, so incest is bad today. Yes, I'm not promoting going and sleeping with your sister. Don't misunderstand. But here, it was not the same circumstance. It was not the same context. And God was okay with it. We have to decide, if we're going to be different, that we're going to let His Word be the thing that sets us apart from everybody else. See, you can concoct all kinds of theories, all kinds of opinions about race and about how we're supposed to interact in the world. And you can listen to the media. You can listen to CNN. You can listen to Fox. You can listen to how everybody wants to tell you what you should do and how you should do it. Or you can say, you know what? Man, I'm, I'm going to do my best to get all that out of my brain. I just want to come at it honestly with God and see what he says. See what he expects. And that's what I want to do. Because sanctify them by the truth. That's part of Jesus' prayer right before he goes to his own death. He's saying sanctify them by truth. Your word, your word, Father, is truth. Do you want to be sanctified, set apart for God's purpose? Then get into his word and let it transform your thinking into his thinking. If you're off, don't try to force fit his word into your thinking. Adjust and allow it to transform you. So let's get to something. I'm gonna, there's going to be some science involved before we get into some just real where rubber hits the road because I don't want you to leave here thinking that this is some conclusion that I drew and just grabbed out of the air or grabbed from church tradition. I want you to see that there's a reason to, to believe and to think the way that God is explaining in His Word. I don't want it to be disconnected where you got science versus the Bible. That is, that's, that's a dream. It doesn't have to be in opposition. In Genesis and in Exodus, lots of cool stories, right? We get the beginning of everything in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. You get to Exodus as Moses is doing all this cool stuff. And... But it's not until 2,500 years down the road that God puts in the law that says, don't mess with your sister in that way. Don't get it on with your relatives, your close relatives. Put some distance between that thing. Second, third cousins may be okay. All right? But don't be, don't be playing around too close to home. Okay? It's not till 2,500 years later. Why? They maybe didn't know why at the time. They may say, well, why can't, man, I... We used to be, she's so good. You know, you got the Marsha Brady syndrome going on that Greg always had. Like. But here's the reason we now know scientifically that mutations over that 2,500 year span increased exponentially. Mutations in these things that make our genetics up called genes, 
Mutations started forming, increasingly so. And so now, the reason that incest we know is a bad thing, if you get it on with your sister and y'all have a baby, that thing's going to come out with like eight heads. It doesn't work right. Because the mutations are too heavy, you've got to spread them out from inside the same pocket of genes. God knew that, though. Isn't He smart? He knew it, and his, his timing was perfect. But then, notice how every time I solve one problem, another one pops up. What's the next problem? Why is there mutations? Isn't that a flaw in creation? What, God didn't know how to make it without mutations? Right? That could be your issue. There's an answer for that as well. And it comes, though, by us being committed to the truth of God's Word is what's going to set me apart and give me the proper perspective. And this is something kind of easy to remember. Remember the seven C's of the Bible. The seven C's of the Bible tell you the entire story from beginning to end. The first C, of course, is creation. Then we get the entrance of sin in the world. We call that corruption. The third one is catastrophe. What's that, guys? The flood. Yeah, the flood was the catastrophe. The ark was not. But <laughs> ark was good news. <laughs> All right. The confusion. What's that? Chapter 11 of Genesis. What is it? The Tower of Babel, where God steps down and says, enough is enough. I told you to go out, spread out, and fill the whole earth. And what'd you do? You hunkered down in one place, and you're trying to make a name, not for me, and do what I told you to do, but you're trying to make a name for yourself. So he says, enough. Because if I let them keep doing that, nothing will stop them. They'll be able to do anything. The problem is they're not just doing anything and great things for me. They're doing it for themselves. They're going to hurt themselves. They're going to kill themselves. So God says, I'm going to confuse them. Seems like a mean thing to do till you realize if he hadn't done it, they would have hurt themselves worse and went further away from him and less dependent on him. So he steps down and he says, all right, bang. And now like, that side of the room spoke Chinese, and this side of the room spoke Japanese, and this side of the room spoke English, and this side of the room spoke German. And y'all are like, what just happened? What are you saying? Can you imagine that day? Your friend that you were normally talking to suddenly is like, what's on what y'all hole? And you're like, what are you, are you okay? Smack. And then he still talks that way. There's nothing you can do about it. But then you get the explanation. And you understand God has done this and he is forcing you into the way that he set you out to begin with, to spread out and fill the earth. And so what do you do? You pocket up with those people and you go to the distant land and you go to the other distant land. You go to the other distant land. The Germans went to Germany. <laughs> All right, don't, I'm oversimplifying, but this is what happened guys. They spread out and what did they do genetically? They took those genes with that little group of people, they went off by themselves and they started getting it on in their community. But they were missing this, these genes here. 
Likewise, these guys, all the different groups of people had their own population of gene, the gene pool that they had working with, and it produced all these beautiful differences over the course of thousands of years. The next C is Christ, then the cross where he died for everyone to make all of this better. And then consummation, ultimately when we get to be with God again. But I want you to see how this story goes so far, what we've learned so far. Adam and Eve, at the very beginning, we've got confirmation of this from um, the writer of Genesis. We've got confirmation from Paul in 1 Corinthians. Um, we've got Jesus confirming this. We've got sons and daughters in Genesis cha chapter 5, verse 4. We know that Cain's wife didn't just come out the air, but it was a daughter of Eve. Then we have Noah and his sons hit the scene. And all the population's wiped out except for him and his sons and their wives. You know, by the way, the, the movie Noah didn't get it right. It put like nine people on the ark. What are they doing? How do you miss that? It's eight people on the ark. Says it. You're making the movie about it. and You didn't get the number. Anyway, I digress. People at the Tower of Babel are divided by their languages. Different people groups. I'm going to give you new language to use. Learn that phrase. Paul, you're a part of a people group. I'm a part of a people group. Right? We're all a part of some type of people group. That'll make more sense as we go along. But here's the Tower of Babel. Here's what happens. They spread out all over creation in their own gene pools. And now today, this is the result. Everybody looks different. Some people got some tiny little ears. Some people got some Dumbo ears. Some people got some big old honkers for noses. Some people got really dark skin. Some people got like they transparent almost, like see-through. <laughs> they so pale. And everywhere in between. What a beautiful diversity. But I wonder, do you see beauty in it? I know, I know you're here and you're like, I'm supposed to. But no, I'm, I'm really asking, do you see beauty in it? Or do you see a threat? Or do you see an enemy? What do you truly see when you see someone that looks different than you? I know what God sees. I don't know what he says I should see. But that's not what I'm asking. What do you see? I want to help you out a little more with this science class that I'm teaching. This I don't usually do this, okay, but I thought it was important. There's two views, right? This is, this is sort of the view that's taught in most of our secular school textbooks. It's the idea that there's an evolutionary tree, okay? If you're going to use the garden metaphor, there's an evolutionary tree. Everything started from a one-celled organism, and then everything came from that. You know, it got tired of hanging out in the water, so it grew some legs, and it's like, all right, you know, now I want to fly. <laughs> you know, so it's like taking off a few times. I don't know how it worked, but uh, how they think it worked. To me, it seems incredibly absurd. Makes no sense how you go from non-information to information. How you go from 
non-information to genetic DNA code? You ever seen computer code just come about? Where did it come from? Intelligence, a designer. Not to mention once it got started, however it got started, non-information to information. Now, I'm gonna be self-aware enough to realize I don't like my environment, I need some legs. It's just crazy thinking to me. What makes a lot more sense and what the Bible seems to describe is something more like an orchard where you've got more than one tree. And you notice the first, the first one here is like a dog creature, a monkey creature, a bird creature. And then from them, all this incredible diversity of variation in that same family occurs. And that's exactly what the Bible describes in the creation account. He says, God made the beasts of the earth according to their what? Say it with me. Wake up. Their what? And the livestock according to their? And everything that creeps on the ground according to its? And what's the last part? He saw it was good. He liked all his kinds. He liked the dogs staying with the dogs. He liked the horses staying with the horses. He liked the birds making more birds and beautiful. Some of them bigger beaks, some of them smaller beaks, some of them flightless, some of them soaring, some of them predators, like the raptors, others eating dead carcasses. He liked all of that. So it was good. Mankind is a kind. Dog kind is a kind, but they're separate trees. They're not from the same tree. But do you see the variation? Would you ever say to a chihuahua, you're not a dog? Well, maybe you would. Uh, it's kind of almost not. But you wouldn't, right? Just because he's not the same as a wolf, you, you realize, okay, whoo. Short end of the straw, right? Drew the short straw. But you wouldn't conclude he's not a dog. National Geographic's figured it out a long time ago. I forget what the date on this is. This is, uh, I can't even read that, guys. I don't know. We'll look it up later. Anyway, a long time ago, they had, a, they had a cover that said wolf to wolf. And they finally mapped out the genome of the wolf and the puppy dogs, domesticated dogs. And they realized they're all, they all point back to that one ancestor, the wolf. They figured it out. Guess what else they figured out? They figured out that so many of this happens this way and we can map it out just like this, but we never have any cross species. We have never, we've never found evidence that a horse came from a dog, ever. We've never observed what we call missing links. Everything that's called a bird still looks like a bird, right? We don't see the half bird, half monkey. We don't see them. 
There's no evidence for them. So science again and again says, look, family stays with family, family stays with family according to their kinds, which God had figured out a long time before the genome was even discovered. And you say, well, if that's true, the puppy, why can't he now produce a dog or a, a wolf, I should say? And the reason for this is, and I'm almost done with the science lesson, but when you pass down these genes and then there's breeding between that new set and then they pass down some genes, there's breeding and it keeps going down, 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 down. Every single time information is lost. Every single time. And you can never add that information back in without reaching back up and bringing the one that has the information down into the equation. Does that make sense? Here's how it works. This is oversimplified, but this is how it works. If you were to guess, these are, these are um, symbols for your genes, okay, that make up what you're going to become. If you were to guess which line, there's, there's five lines up here. If you were to guess which one describes, let me catch up here, which one describes the wolf, what would you guess? You think the top one, why? They're all the same? It's a good guess. It's as good as any guess, I guess, except it's wrong. Um, no, here's why. This is going to be really cool to you. The bottom one is the wolf, and here's why. But it, because it has, remember, it's the one that everything came from as far as dogs are concerned. So it has to have every one of the options. It has to have a capital and a lowercase a. It has to have a capital and a lowercase, but it has to have all of the information. So now, given that understanding, which one do you think is the Chihuahua? Well, that would be true, and it could be true, but we're going to give him the lowercase ones, okay? Because he's the Chihuahua. But you get the idea, right? You can't go from the Chihuahua's information and come out with any part of a capital letter. So if the capital letter represented long hair... You would never, from a lowercase animal, get long hair. It would always be short. We, get, we, we figured out these animals, but now we still struggle with man. We still got people teaching that it went from monkey to upright. When in reality, what God says we need to be doing is getting down on our face and surrendering to the one who's given us truth and life at the cross. Look at this. God said, let us, you know the Hebrew word there? A lot, I've heard people teach that means Jesus was there, and he was, okay? But that's not really what the language means here. It doesn't mean like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, even though that's true. It's not really what's being said here. You know what it's saying? It's saying let us, that Hebrew word, it represents what's called the plurality of majesty. Like it's a way of saying how awesome God is. Like you can't encapsulate it in a word. Let us in all our greatness make man in our image after our likeness. So what kind are we? If the, if the chihuahua, what kind is he? What's the, what's the chihuahua? This is an easy question, guys. What? 
He's a dog, right? What's, what's the wolf? A dog, okay? Not a frog, dog. So what, what are we then? If we're in his likeness, what are we, what are we like? God. We have his likeness. We're his kind. We are different and distinct from the polar bears that everybody seems to want to save lately. Save the polar bears. <laughs> what has a polar bear ever done for you? Man. Polar bear. Man, you see all the cute commercials with the Coca-Colas about the polar bears? Yeah, you give them a Coca-Cola, they're going to eat you and leave the Coke. But we want to save the polar bears? We want to hug the trees? We get fired up about, we get fired about saving the planet and saving the tree and saving the polar bears. Meanwhile, we're killing each other. And we're letting people go to hell without hearing the gospel. I think you're fired up about the wrong things. Get fired up about what fires God up. And let's get busy. And so here's the, here's the end of the line on this. Adam and Eve, of course, would, would be represented down there because they've got all the information. So the original DNA recipe, Adam and Eve pour out to the rest of us. And that's where the idea of diversity comes from. And scientifically, it's already been proven. It wouldn't have taken that many generations, maybe even just a generation, before you would start to see significant diversity. Now imagine that multiplied at the Tower of Babel the way that it was. Do you know, these are not my words, okay? This is out of a textbook. So these words are, who wants to be called a Caucasoid? Don't call me a Caucasoid. And I'm not going to call you a Negroid. What is that? Sounds like a, yeah, yeah, something dangerous, you know? Watch out for the Caucasoid. Here it comes. Jeez. But you know, science wants you to believe that you're something that doesn't bear the image of God. The world wants you to believe that you're nothing more than a product of your environment and your chemicals and your processes going on inside you. And God says, no, I gave you a mind. I made you in my image. Now, who are you going to serve? Who are you going to listen to? Will you let my word set you apart? Do you know there's only point... 2% difference from any two human beings on the planet? You say, oh, I don't think that's right. Well, that's because you're only looking at one thing. That's all you're looking at is this outside thing. Most of you ain't outside. 98% of you is on the inside. Your stomach, your bladder. Your bladder is like my bladder. Your blood is like my blood. Your lungs function just like mine do. 2% difference. Two. And of that difference, of the 2% difference, there's only 0 .012 that have to do with just the external appearance. The other 2% includes everything about you. There's only 2% difference. Yeah. That's right. 
Not 2%, 0.2%. I keep leaving out the point. Thank you. It's not 2%. So it's not 98%. I got lost. My fault. But there's no big difference. I think I'm overdoing this, but all humans are descendants of Adam. They all have the same color skin pigmentation. Do you agree? It's true. Melanin is one color. What color is it? It's brown. What color am I? No. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. We got to stop there. What color is melanin? Brown. What do I got in my skin? Melanin. What color am I? Brown. I'm what? I'm brown. Y'all, y'all, y'all missing something. This ain't a complex equation. I'm going to try one more time. What color is melanin? What do I have in my skin? Melanin. What color am I? Hallelujah, I'm brown. Everybody in this classroom is brown. Now, some of y'all are dark brown. And the rest of us are barely brown. But we all are brown. And all your skin color is, guys, that you want to put so much stock in, I don't care what color you are, you want to put some stock in it or take some pride in it, you know what it is? It's just a little more melanin or not so much. That's all it is. Boy, we make a lot out of a smaller amount of paint. We miss the beauty that comes from all these mutations. And we miss the beauty that comes from the way God split it up and His whole divine, infinitely wise plan. We miss the beauty, man. We see these, these skinny eyes. We make jokes about it. Or we see these big, wide, you know, wide eyes. We make jokes about it. It looks like they always woke, you know. Always excited. You met those people, right? We make fun of them, but instead of seeing the beauty and the diversity, the way that God made people. Do y'all know that these are twins? Did you even know that was possible? They're twins. Brother and sister came out like minutes apart. It messes things up, don't it? Man. One of them, though, is going to have an easier time in life. Did I make my man? It was going to come. Why not now? One of them is going to have an easier time. Race, then, this is not even written by a Christian, okay? This is written by the scientific community. It's been said over and over and over by many, many, many scientific articles that study the genome. It says race is a social concept, not a scientific one. There are no bright lines that would stand out if we could compare all the sequenced genomes of everyone on the planet. When we try to apply science to try to sort out these social differences, it all falls apart. Craig Venter, one of the first to sequence the human genome. There is only one race, the human race, scientifically. So those of you who raised your hand and said, I think that's going to be the conclusion, you're right. There is only one race scientifically the human race. Genetically, we all brown, 
different shades of brown. 0.2% difference. All in the same family, all in the image of God. One race, the human race. So in a way, we can throw away the word race. And I think to a large degree, we need to. Because every time we bring up black or white, first of all, I'm not white. First of all, you're not black. We're all brown, light brown, dark brown. That's one thing we could change. That would help and confuse the world, wouldn't it? And it would create some conversations where we could explain and maybe get some influence into their life and help them become Christians. What a novel idea. Change your language. A better alternative would be something like ethnic groups because that incorporates things like culture and language. And we don't need to neglect the differences that we have there because some of those are really beautiful differences. Do you know when, when a white, let me get that out of my language, I'm guilty too, look. When a light brown person goes over to Haiti where most of the people are dark brown, and I take my light brown culture from America over there and I bring the gospel along with it, you know, there are two principles that we need to be aware of when we do that. We're bringing the gospel, which is cross-culture. It's, it's, it's culture-less. It's culture-neutral. But it comes there, and there are two principles I'm going to teach you. One is called the pilgrim principle. So when I bring the gospel to Haiti, and... Something about the gospel, the kingdom culture, violates Haiti's culture or Haiti violates the kingdom culture, they've got to stop doing it. Things like voodoo, it's got to go. It's not just a culture thing. It's not just the way we do it. No, it's anti-kingdom culture. It's got to go. That's why it's called the pilgrim principle because we're not from here. We are from heaven when we sign on to be Christians. We're no longer citizens of America. We're citizens in heaven. Okay? Boy, that messes things up too. Um, changes the whole political thing, doesn't it? Wow, I'm a citizen of heaven? Whoa. But the other principle that you have to keep in mind is called the indigenous principle. The indigenous principle says when I bring the gospel to Haiti and I bring it with my culture, the way that I know how to do things, the way we sing, the way we do this, the indigenous principle says, look, not everything about their culture is bad, so don't try to force fit them into a monoculture that just happens to be yours because you're the dominant one. And that's where this quote-unquote white privilege comes into the conversation. Because white privilege is often seen by the dark brown people. And it's often not seen by the light brown people. I don't have white privilege. What do you mean? I got problems too. Go away. That's not helpful. Be quiet. It's not helpful. And what you mean is not really what's being heard. But that can be so hurtful to the dark brown among us. Who look at us and say, man, you got it so easy and you don't even know it. You don't know how hard this is over here. Because you don't wake up every morning and see dark brown, which everybody else thinks is something wrong with it. Or it's a threat. 
You don't wake up wondering, can I jog down the street for my workout this morning and afraid that a cop might say, where are you running from? You can get up and jog wherever you want. Nobody's going to say a word to you in most cases. I know there are exceptions, but don't focus on the exception to do away with that person's fear or hurt. Let me help you. You say, I'm not racist. Why am I even in this class? He's just preaching to the choir. I doubt that. I'm pretty convinced that probably a little bit of racism is present in most of us in the room at some level. Doesn't need to be. And if I ever detect it, or if you detect it in me, tell me it's got to go because it's not of Jesus. Answer this question. According to the Bible, which impending marriage does God counsel against? Which one? Huh? You sure? Which one of these marriages has to go? Cannot happen, according to God. But hold on, the top one's a black, or I'm sorry, a dark brown and a light brown. It doesn't matter. We're all born raised. Okay, thank you. So, so it's okay for the top one to get married? Yes. What if your mama don't like it? I'm going to marry her anyway. Marry that girl, no matter what you say. Okay. I really hate that song because I think about my daughter. I'm like, I got something to say. You know, you're not going to marry the girl. I'm going to kill you. No. But anyway, the non-Christian and the non-Christian, God's like, yeah, I'm mean, going to hook up. I wish they'd become Christians, but, you know, it's not, they're not in my purview right now. They're doing their thing. What about the bottom one? That's a no, a direct no, a direct no from God. He says that race matters, but not the race that we think of, the race that you're running. If you've got one person running this way and the other person going another way, one's going with God and the other one's going the other direction, it can't work. That's the qualification that he gives for marriage. This business about, man, interracial marriage, what does that even mean? We know that there's only one race, right, scientifically, and we know that God's okay, right, with, with any one of his Christian, Christian couples getting together and marrying. So why do we say, what do you think about interracial marriage? Well, I think it's non-existent. Right, Wes? Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> this man's uh, wife is dark brown. And he is not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the race does matter. It does. The race you're running. God says clearly, do not yoke together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what do fellowship can light have with darkness? It's not an egg yoke. He's talking about locking together and plowing a field together. Locking together and doing something together. You cannot put that yoke around you and lock in and go. But you can when it comes to the color of your, or the, the absence or inclusion of more melanin or less melanin. If that's the factor, it's a non-factor. Go at it. But if it's a matter of the other race that you're running, you're running two different races, you got to drop it like it's hot. What about this guy? Does that tick you off? Make you sad? I bet it makes all the dark brown people, by and large, a little more upset than it does the light brown people. 
by and large. I hope that's not true of all the light browns in the room. I hope that you were saddened when you heard the news of Michael Brown's death. 2014, this happened. Look at, look at what's happened in our recent past and think from the perspective, okay, what does God want me to do with all this that's happening around me? This happens. Then, stay with me. I'm not a Trump hater and I'm not a Trump lover, okay? And I'm not going to start talking politics, okay, a whole lot, because I don't want to lose you here. I want you to stay with me. I love Donald Trump. I want him to come to Christ. I want him to be baptized into Christ, and I would love to study the Bible with that man. If we can make that happen, man, make it happen. I'll do it. I had a dream about it with Obama. Hallelujah. I did. I had a dream. I was like, you telling me something, God? I'm like, I was across the table, got invited to the White House for some reason. I was studying the Bible with Obama, and I said something that was kind of in his face that Jesus was saying, and they're like, you can't talk to the president like that. I was like, man, what you going to do? This is the word. I was like so bold in my dream, you know? But no, seriously, I want the best for whoever, everybody. No matter where they are, whether I agree with them or not. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. But look, when Christians by the droves supported Donald Trump and he got elected, I want all of my light brown people to hear this carefully. What that said to the dark brown community was some very unsettling things that concerned them and worried them. What should our response be when they are scared, devastated, etc.? What should our response be? Well, let me, let me tell you how you've looked at his policy all wrong, and let me tell you the statistics say, and no, that's not how it goes. That ain't going to help. When's the last time you convinced someone on the opposite end of the political spectrum to come your way? It's a pipe dream. Understand, Michael Brown killed, Trump elected, thousands of Confederate statues. We started bickering about whether they should be taken down and destroyed or whether they should be put into a museum so that we can learn from them. You know, I, I tend to think, and this, I don't know what you think about this, I tend to think they have no business being celebrated because it's, it just doesn't say the right thing. But it's totally okay to stick them in a museum so we never forget the past. And you can learn from it. But that happened, and there was so much dis division over this. Then this man decides to take a knee, and everybody's ticked, or everybody's agreeing with him. And now all of this is happening one after the other after the other. And then you got the president reacting to it. Notice where this man was when he did this. He was in Huntsville, Alabama. Down the road from a Friday Night Live, I was doing a Friday Night Live devotional down the road from Donald Trump's rally. I'm serious, like just a matter of blocks down the road when it happened. And this is when he called the NFL a bunch of SOBs. Okay, no matter what you think about it, I'm just saying that understand every image, whether it's an image of Trump or it's an image of Michael Brown or it's an image of Colin Kaepernick kneeling, all of the images I put up there stir some type of strong emotion in people that are created in the image of God. 
that need to think like God, that hurt, that get scared. Some of them are ignorant in the room. They don't realize. So everyone in the room has a difficult job when it comes to racial or ethnic people group interactions. And I'm going to rush through some of this now because I have a feeling that I'm running behind. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Understand, he's really talking about race here in a lot of ways because who was circumcised? The Jews. Who was not circumcised? The Gentiles. It was absolutely a race issue. He says the only thing that counts, hear that, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. In Galatians, he picks up there in verse 7 and 8, he says, you were running a good race. By the way, look up race. The only time it's used is in reference to running and all of God's Word. So what are we talking about? Who were, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Like, who messed up your race to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion. And guys, there is persuasion in the media and everywhere else. You're being persuaded to react and think a certain way. And you've got to resolve, no, 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 no. this is God's race he put me on. I can't let these people cut in on me and mess up my race. I've got to keep perspective. And I can't be persuaded by them. I need to be persuaded by God. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And then finally, he says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Just put a little yeast and it messes up the whole thing, man. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. And I hope you won't. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, I don't care if it's mama, granddaddy, whoever, whoever it may be, your girlfriend, whoever it may be, will have to pay the penalty. You just make sure you're not the one paying the penalty for being a part of this problem and not a part of the solution. Because a penalty will be paid. Remember that? Some of you got ticked at that. Some of y'all were legit like, please don't shoot me. How do we react? Here's what the light browns I heard Personally, I'm not making this up. Here's what the light browns I heard say. I'm not racist. That's not about me. All cops aren't bad. It's better than it used to be, guys. Come on, dark browns. It's better than it used to be. You're not the only one suffering. Get over it. I heard all of those. And none of them are helpful. Not helpful. Not when someone's down and out and hurting and struggling and trying to figure it out and confused and not knowing where to turn, especially when the church seems to be doing things that, how did you vote for him? You know, they're so confused and it's affecting everything. And so, man, we can't say stuff like this. We've got to be better. The scripture calls us to mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, live in peace with everyone. It doesn't say mourn with those who mourn unless your statistics prove them wrong. It doesn't say live in harmony unless they're the... I'm sorry, unless they're a different skin shade. Live in peace unless they're a different, different political party. Then it's okay to duke it out. I thought, man, we got to have something from this man today. Tomorrow's is celebrating his birthday, right? 
To ignore evil, MLK said, is to become an accomplice to it. Listen, if you're dark brown and you're an accomplice to further putting wedges between God's people, repent. If you're a light brown and you refuse to take some ownership and to acknowledge that it's not for me to correct, it's for me to mourn with those who mourn, it's, it's, for, me to, it's for me to be there for my hurting brother. Man, if, you're, if that's not been you, repent. And if you have stood idly by and watched and said, it has nothing to do with me, MLK, you might disagree with him, but I tend to agree. He says, you're an accomplice. You got to stand up and speak for God into every dark place, into everything that's of the devil. And racism is of the devil. Isaiah 58, 10, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. You believe that? Find the oppressed among you, whoever it is, wherever they are. And if you stand up for them, you're going to shine. You're going to stand out and you're going to give glory to God and have an opportunity to influence for him. I love this picture. If you're ignorant about your um, quote unquote white privilege, I love this. What's the matter? It's the same distance. Be aware. Be aware of each other's struggles. Share it with each other openly so that you can be the family that we talked about that loves just like Christ loved you. Remember the story of the neighbor, the good Samaritan? What did Jesus say? These are, by the way, the two most important commandments in the whole book. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Who was the neighbor in the story? Remember the context? This is the Good Samaritan story. Who was the neighbor? The one that was looked down on because of his race. The Samaritan. He was considered nothing. An outcast. He says, but look what that Samaritan did, man. MLK, I love this. He said this. He said, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked, that's the first two that passed by, the guy that was robbed and left bleeding in the road. He says, the first question they asked was, if I stop and help this man, what might happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed the question. If I don't stop to help this man, what, what, what might happen to him? That's Christ's attitude. If I didn't come out of heaven and get uncomfortable and let them hang me on the cross, what would have happened to them? Acts 10, 28, this is the Mackie Shed version. Y'all ready? I hope this is what hits home the most for you, okay? Because I'm using our language. I'm not using correct language. I'm using the way the world talks, and I want you to hear it. I want it to affect you. This story is about race. It was just about Jews and Gentiles, but I've replaced those two words with what we say. He said to them, and this is Peter, you are well aware that it is against our law for a white to associate with a, or visit a black. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. While Peter was still speaking, he didn't even get through his whole sermon. 
Imagine I just got up here 15 minutes ago and then suddenly this happened. While he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The whites who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the blacks. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He gets to chapter 11, you say, wow, Peter figured it out. Man, well, it took a special vision. It took an argument with God. Do you realize that? He gave Peter this vision and he said, get up and kill all these animals that, I, that you've never ate in your life, you consider unclean. Get up and kill them. And Peter says, no, forbid it. I'll never do that. I'm not going to eat that stuff. It's unclean. And the guy says, boy, don't tell me what's clean. I made it. Eat the thing. Get up and eat the bacon. Go bacon. He says, get up and eat the bacon. Peter figured it out, though. Peter's our hero, right? And look, man, he stands up to the people after they baptize all these blacks. After they baptize all the blacks and the whites have to eat their words, it says, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the blacks had also received the word of God. So then Peter went up to Jerusalem. The whites criticized him and said, you went into the house of the black men and ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter stood up and he defended his position. He defended the black people, the Gentiles. You follow me? But Peter is not so much of a hero. It doesn't take too long. And I want to read you this. We're almost done, guys. Listen to this. In Galatians 2... Paul has to get on to Peter, the same hero that stood up and did it the right way. Man, he baptized everybody in spite of their color, in spite of their race. He says, when Cephas came to Antioch, Paul says, I had to oppose him to his face. This is after this happened. Because he stood condemned. Peter stood condemned. Hear that. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. He used to eat the bacon. But when he arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined in his hypocrisy. So Peter was a bad enough example. Everybody started doing the same thing he was doing. He drifted away from the truth and he drifted others with him. And then he says, um, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth, Remember what sets us apart? The truth sanctifies us. It says, when I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force these Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? He challenged them to his face in front of everybody. Imagine how embarrassing that was. Are you willing to stand up and do that? Are you willing to stand up for the truth in the face of criticism? And stand up for your dark-skinned, your dark brown brother. Come on, light brown brothers. What are we going to do? And vice versa, guys. You know, the day is coming. They're predicting by 2042 that America will be, uh, that, that the light brown people that we call white will no longer be the majority by 2042 if trends continue. So, man, when these roles flip, What are we going to do for each other? 
And finally, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, and I want you to hear this. I want this to be, this is, this is what shapes the way you think about race. Who believes in the gospel? Raise your hand. Who believes it's good news? Do not cheapen it because this is what the gospel came to accomplish. It wasn't just for you, it's for everybody. Look at what he says. His purpose, Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, Jew, Gentile. Today, black, white, light brown, dark brown. One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. What did the gospel do? It killed the hostility. What can it do today? Do you believe it? Can it kill the hostility? Are you going to participate in continuing the hostility? No. You better not continue that hostility. You better stand up for your light-skinned brother, and you better stand up for your dark-skinned brother. There are brothers. The gospel demands nothing less. I'm done. <laughs> Drop the mic. Love you guys.